Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers. It's time for another episode. I had a conversation with Jill Eileen Smith back in December, and I'm sharing it with you now because Jill's new book is releasing on this coming Tuesday, March 2nd. Jill is the best-selling, award-winning author of the Wives of King David series, as well as other many other books. She's known for her biblical fiction, and her latest biblical fiction is called Miriam's Song. It's releasing Tuesday, as I already mentioned. Um, this is so interesting because when I recorded this interview, I don't think I was as familiar with um, the Exodus as I am right now, because I'm reading, I'm following a plan from the Bible recap to read the Bible this year. And um, I just finished Leviticus, but I, it's not that long ago that I was in Exodus and um, read all about Miriam and Moses and Aaron. So it was just really cool to listen to this um, conversation and edit it and hear again about Miriam when it was more fresh in my mind from having just read the account. So without any more fanfare, here is my conversation with Jill Eileen Smith. Jill, I'm excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. You have a new novel coming out, Miriam's Song. It's releasing on March 2nd. Can you tell us about this book? Well, it's the story of Moses's sister, Miriam, who is probably about mm, five years old when he was born, is my mm. guess. Um, I, of course, the Bible doesn't actually tell us that, but um, that was what right. I went with. Um, she's known in Scripture by very little information. We know that she watched over Moses as he... Uh, was in a basket in the Nile, and she was bold enough to approach the princess to get someone to nurse Moses. She was Aaron's older sister as well. We know mm -hmm. she was a prophetess. We know she was um, used by God to lead in some way, because later in Scripture, the Bible says that Moses, Aaron, and Miriam all led the children of Israel out of Egypt. So, um, we suspect she had something to do with leading the women, probably. Um, we don't right. know if she was married. We don't know if she had children. Though in my book, I created her to have both because in her day, it would be unlikely for a woman not to, to marry. Um, right. It was the culture of the time. So that's what I chose to do. And um, we also know she complained in her later life against Moses that got, uh, caused God to be upset with her complaining. And she was stricken with leprosy for a week and then restored and brought back to uh, the camp and they moved on. And then later she died. That's all that God tells us about her in scripture. But so to write her story, I had to study Moses more than I did her, right. and um, study Aaron, and put her in that period of time. Uh, it's a, a novel that's mixed with some history, but whether it's the correct history or not, you would find debate among scholars, because I don't think anyone really knows the date of the Exodus. Therefore, we can't know exactly which pharaoh was on the throne or who the princess was that was her mm. um, rescuer. But I chose to go with what made the most sense uh, in the time frame to me. And um, so I, it's a little unique. I had one reviewer who's already seen the book um, surprised at the age I put the princess at um, because most people would think of her as an adult. And right from the beginning, you'll, you'll see she's a child. Um, but I have her a little older than Miriam. But it makes sense in if you read the history of uh, Hatshepsut, who married into the, the line of the kings that could have been uh, the pharaohs at that time. And I did put a lot of that history little bits here and there 
in that in the story so that people would have a feel for it. But whether it's accurate or not, um, again, scholars would probably argue that until kingdom come. (laughs) So I follow her story um, with, I create uh, a husband out of a real person in scripture. I give her a son that was a real person in scripture. Um, But I'm, because we don't know who those people really married and we don't, we don't have any of that. So that is my imagination. And I would want the reader to know that go back to the scripture and see, this is what we really know about her, which I, I bring out in my book that just released in September, the Miriam chapter. I tell what we know and what we don't, because I don't want people to be confused and think, Oh, this was exactly Miriam's life. It is a novel. It's, it's what I created it to be because otherwise there's very little to tell about her. And I, I bring out uh, Aaron's wife cause she is mentioned in scripture. Her sons are mentioned and, and mm-hmm. it's, I just, I walk through the, the Exodus period and what it was like through her eyes to be a slave and finally free and walking through the wilderness. And will we ever get out of here? And, you know, right. it's, it sounds like a saga, I guess, but it really has, it taught me things as I wrote it. And I, I hope it, it uh, resonates with readers um, because her character surprised me in the sense that, um, I mean, I didn't know much about her and I didn't think there was a book to write, honestly. But hmm. when I studied Moses, I thought, wow, all that he experienced for her to even watch that from the sidelines or to hear from God, however she did as a prophetess, had to be pretty amazing. And yeah, um, so I, I enjoyed that part of it. Okay, so what inspired you to write about Miriam? Um, that was sort of a joint, I would say venture, but joint... Um, come to decide who to write next with my publisher. We were talking Uh about different women um, and I had wanted, well, that's, that's coming up next. I, at the next one, I also had the same situation, but um, after I'd done three series that were easily, easily connected, um, Mm -hmm. the wives of King David, wives of the patriarchs and the uh, daughters of the promised land, and then you did Solomon. And then it was like, okay, who's next? And there was Esther and that they liked that idea. But then we're like, I gave them a few suggestions and they liked Miriam. And I went, okay. And I didn't really know what I was getting into. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's done now and um, I'm grateful. And now I'm asking the same question about the next book I'm writing. So it happens to me every time. So it's it's just the nature of me as a writer. Um. Right. So um, you go through that with every book, kind of? Yeah, pretty much. My husband hears me go, why did I ever sign this contract? There's no story <laughs> here. How can, am I never going to finish this? Right now I'm on the first draft of a book due in March. I'm never this late. Never, ever, ever, ever. Um. I'm, I'm one of those people that has to have it done early. I mean, from childhood, I I had to be done with all my school projects before it was due. It was like, because I, I edit at least four or five times before I turn it in. I can't, I don't write right up to the last minute, hit the deadline and go off to the editor and have them have so much to fix. I just can't do that. I'm too much of a perfectionist. So, um, the first draft of this book, which is about Joseph um, should have been done first draft should have been done months ago, but because of two releases this year, as well as a lot of interviews and editing on a different and Miriam song actually, and um, just COVID and travel and just way too much in my life. <laughs> it just kept getting pushed back. I'm like, wait, 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 I got to get, okay, now you, now I'm down to the wire. It's going to be done by the, by Christmas. Uh, yeah. I'm, so I had to double my word count per day in order to make that, but I'm going to wow. do it. Lord willing. <laughs> yeah, you will. Um, you've said that this book about Miriam, Miriam's song, 
mm-hmm. was a difficult book to write. Is that just because there was so little information about her or were there other reasons it was difficult? I think it's just the lack of information. That's what happens with uh, any woman in scripture that has so little on her. It It's like Deborah had very little on her. Even Rebecca had very little. Um, you, you take Sarai, you take Rachel, you take any of the, well, the three wives of King David, they all had a lot more because, well, they didn't have a lot more, but David had a lot more. Um, And in this case, it wasn't so bad once I could say, okay, it's like writing about Solomon's wives. There's nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. it's worse, worse than Miriam, but you can learn about Solomon. And I knew about David. So when it came to Miriam, I knew that I just had to understand Moses in order to understand her. I know that sounds weird because we aren't in our culture identifying ourselves by our husbands or children, but in our brothers or sisters, but that's all we have to work with. Um, He lived in a different situation by being in the palace for so long, but we can imagine what her life was like as a slave, you know, what you try to picture what it was like with her parents, with her brother, you know, were they treated poorly? How did they ever see someone beaten or killed? You know, did they have a lot to eat or not hardly anything? And so a lot of the, the slavery aspects, um, I tried to bring out a little bit. Um, I made them a little privileged because of being Moses's, uh, relatives, but not too much, especially when she was, her mother was nursing Moses. But afterward, um, I have them a little bit treated differently than the normal slave. Um, but she still would have seen it. She still would have been around it. And yeah, yeah, I, I, that's mainly the reason it was harder to write. But as I, as I got into it and I just, I mean, I always pursue the spiritual aspect of a woman's heart in any of my stories. And with her being a prophetess, I had to imagine, well, how did she hear from God? Like Moses talked to God face to face and Aaron heard from God and maybe he heard him speak. Maybe he had visions. I had uh, her have dreams. So um, I don't have her have the same privilege Moses had, but she had a better connection to God than anyone else in Israel. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I pursued that a little bit and, and I give her a longing to know God the way Moses does. She wishes she could be called up on the mountain. She wishes uh-huh. she had that closeness, but in that time frame, the Holy spirit hadn't come yet. So, I mean, we take for right. granted, granted our close relationship that we can have with God. And yet I feel like what that book taught me really was about God's holiness. I I really was kind of like in awe. Mm-hmm. I've read it a million times. I mean, not well, that's exaggerating, but I've read it. It feels that way though, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, when God came down from the mountain, he wanted he came down on top of the mountain and Moses mm-hmm. could go up and meet him. But the people, God had to put a boundary around it. And he said, anyone crosses this boundary dies, even if it's an animal. And that freaked the people out like big time. They were really afraid to get near the mountain. And I I, I realized that from the very beginning of time when God created man, what did he do? He walked in the garden he fellowshiped, yeah. he tabernacled with mm. Adam and Eve. Right. And that was broken. And ever since that was broken, God has always wanted that restored. He's had the plan to restore it when Christ came, but he always wanted it restored. So with yes. Moses, when he came down on that mountain, he wanted to tabernacle with the people. That's what the whole tabernacle in the wilderness was designed to show. He wanted to be in their midst because he wanted closeness with them, but his holiness would not allow him to get close to sinful human beings. His holiness would have broken out against them 
because it would have had no choice because holiness and sin can't mix. And that's what I, I learned from that. And that's why the boundary, that's why, you know, you'll die if you do this. It wasn't that God was mean. It was that he would have had no choice and he didn't want to do that. So he's, he was trying to protect them from his holiness until he could display his holiness through Christ and mm-hmm. take our sin away. And now he can tabernacle within us and have fellowship through the Holy Spirit. So I feel like the whole scripture kind of came together in an even more profound way for me because of understanding a little better that holiness of God, that Moses got to see the glory and the people couldn't handle it. He has just made his face so bright. They said, cover your face. We can't look at you. Right. (laughs) And in the same way, they couldn't be close to God and they Mm. didn't want to because of their sin. And we all don't want to unless God draws us and gives us that grace to yeah. want him. And it's, it's so, it's a paradox in a sense. And yet it makes a lot of sense if you just see the whole picture. You, but you have to read the scripture and see it as a whole. And yeah, so many of us want to pick and choose what we like and don't like about it. But to me, it was awe inspiring to read that. And I can imagine Miriam wanting that relationship. Right. So. It was a profound part of the story for me. Oh, that's beautiful. I I think it's so interesting as I read more of the Old Testament, you you start to see you, as you're talking about, you start you start to see the big picture, the mm-hmm. whole gospel um throughout scripture. Sure. What can we learn from Miriam about you mentioned that she complained against Moses? And God was angry with her about that. What do you want your readers to take away with that part of the story? Well, I think if we look through, even before she got there, she had watched Israel. Like they weren't even three days out of Egypt and they were crabbing about, we don't have any water. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're like, "Uh, you just saw the Red Sea part, walk through on dry land. And you think God's not going to provide for you, but they were so faithless and they just kept um, complaining and complaining. I mean, no matter how much, even just a few days later or weeks later or months later. And Mm -hmm. God, I think what it showed me, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. You know, she, it's the Bible says, you know, she was complaining about his Cushite wife and there's different people or explanations for who that Cushite wife might've been. Some people think it was Zipporah who was actually a Midianite. I don't think it was Zipporah. I I think a Cushite would have been somebody from Cush. <laughs> and right. I don't think Cush and Midian were the same. Therefore, possibly a second wife or Zipporah died and he remarried. I don't think it's a, it was a racial issue. I think it was a it was a kind of Moses didn't tell them or ask their permission or, you know, and it became a more of a doesn't God speak through us too? Because that was the complaint. Not so much. I mean, the wife's mentioned, but it, the complaint was God speaking speaks through us too. So, like, aren't we kind of equal here? You know, I mean, I fe- felt like it showed God does not really like complaining, and we don't take that seriously enough. I think as Christians, even I find myself complaining way too much. You know, we complain about. Our circumstances this year, 2020, has got so many things to complain about, right? (laughs) But even if it wasn't 2020, throughout our life, are we thanking God for who He is, for what He's done for us in our circumstances, or are we complaining that He hasn't changed the things we've been praying that He would change? Um, Because we're always going to have the next thing we want Him to fix. And he's not always going to do it instantly. His timing is never on our timetable. And 
I, you know, we have to accept that and we don't like it because we want to control. So then we complain and we just, we don't recognize that complaining is actually not trusting God. And so I think that that is why he gets upset with us and with Israel at the time, because they, they wanted to just crab at him instead of trust him. Like, you know, don't whine about it. Just wait and see what he does. Ask him. But don't don't be grumbling. Grumbling and complaining are things that really do bug him. I think he don't. I just don't think he thinks that's a an okay thing. It's like there's certain sins in the Christian world we think are okay. Like it's all right to gossip. It's okay to overeat and be a glutton. It, it but it's not okay to commit adultery. There's we regulate sin and we don't take into account that God made them wander 40 years because of a lack of belief and complaining and whining that, oh, we're going to die if we go into the promised land. We've got these giants here. Let's go back to Egypt. And he's like, I think he just got, gets fed up with the, like, don't, do you not remember just a few months ago? <laughs> and we forget, we forget so easily. So that's why I think that really was a big deal to him, and he was making an example. But he loved Miriam. Not that he didn't love Israel, but he he had a special relationship with her. So he didn't kill her. He didn't leave her a leper. Like some people who complained died. But with him, he just I think he just wanted her to learn, listen, you know, you knew you knew I didn't like this and you're doing it anyway. And so he he just disciplined her. Okay, so I write historical fiction, but it's much more recent. So everything I've written is set in the 18th and 19th century, and even like time slips to the 21st century um, and the 20th century. So I'm just in awe of authors of biblical fiction whenever I talk to them. The time period you write about is so ancient. How do you go about researching for your novels? Well, it's actually easier than what you do, to be honest, <laughs> because um, it's so far back that there's very little that anyone can prove you wrong. Ah, that's true. <laughs> and and you don't have to go back when technology changes and switch from a flip phone to a smartphone to, you know, things like that, that a contemporary author might have to do. So... Um, but what I do is I, well, of course I start with scripture and I want to know the story. Um, I also read, there will be commentaries usually that will at least touch on the periods of the, wherever right. some are very minimal and some are in depth. Yeah. Um, I look at cultural atlases, Bible dictionaries. I love pictures pictures so the pictorial ones are my favorite um yeah life and times like i have a book sitting here everyday life in ancient egypt that i used several times and i have one everyday life in bible times and so i read the books um or at least most of the books to get a handle on what their culture was like and then you have to be a little careful with not making them sound modern. So when you, like once I was, I forget which book it was. It was near the beginning of my career, but mm. I wanted to use fabric. Um, I knew they had linen in Egypt for, because that was the clothing mostly. And they probably had some flax they grew in Canaan because Rahab grew it um, or right. had it on her roof. And then they had wool. You know, but other than that, I thought, well, did they have silk like in mm -hmm. the, the palaces? But so I had to research when did the Silk Road come into play? Because silk comes from the near the Far East, like China. Right. And the Silk Road came in at a specific time. So I had to check out that. And then just little, little things like um, I might say, I'll see you in a minute. You know, but I can't write that because they didn't keep time like that. So they wouldn't use the word minute. And yeah. so you have to be aware of the little details when you're writing it. But the the other things are mostly um, just trying to get a feel for that 
era. Like King David lived in approximately 900 something, 930 or 80, I forget, BC. But Mm -hmm. Abraham was a thousand years before him. And in a different era, he was in our area. He was in Mesopotamia, not in um, the, well, what is now, it was Canaan at the time, I guess, but it became the land of Israel under David. And um, so Mesopotamia, they worshiped different gods. It wasn't, it was no longer, you know, just the one God with David's life because Abram was called out to worship one God. So I had to, um, I, I like archeology. span They, they found a, um, a burial site in Ur, I think it was. I'm not sure if it was the exact Ur that Abraham came from, but it gave a lot of details of what they found there to give you a little bit of insight into what it might've been like. And I, I would read books about the gods they worshiped and, um, not the whole books. Usually I tend to um, skim and pick out what I need um, okay. because otherwise <laughs> I'd be reading so many history books and I'd never yeah. start writing. But yeah. usually I will take, when I when I wasn't writing three books a year or two books a year, I would take two to three months of research. But now it's it's almost more okay, let's start the story and research as we go, or I'll write check and go back and research. if Because I know mm-hmm. I might know enough, but then I have to be sure I'm right. And right. It, that will cause changes. But yeah, that's, it's basically, I mean, I'm in my office right now looking at all the, the things. I look at maps. I try to get how far things were. How did they raise sheep? How did they climb up a palm tree to get the dates off, you know, or whatever was there. How did they press grapes into wine back in that day? That is Mm -hmm. not the way we would do it today with our modern equipment. So you kind of, I look up things on YouTube and (laughs) watch a kid climb a, uh, climb a palm tree. That's like, they kind of have their own ladder built in. I think that God designed it that Mm, way. Um, So yeah, that's, I guess that's the best I can say. I just, everything I can find um, yeah. to make it uh, culturally at least close. We can't right. know for sure. We weren't there. And even archaeologists will disagree on what the time, I mean, they're guessing even when they're yes. opening up a tomb and they're they're going, well, this was this and this was that. And you're like, but you don't know that for sure. You know, you, right. you're putting together based on your education and, but we we were we weren't there, you know. We really don't know what it was like. So, um, I do my best. You know, I did have a reader one time tell me they didn't have camels domesticated at that time, and I'm like, yeah, but the Bible said they were riding camels, so I'm gonna stick with what the Bible says. You know, um, right. if I'm wrong, well, then I'm wrong. But I just believe that. Uh, I'll stick with what's there, and then I try to create maybe their motives because the, mm-hmm. really what the books are about are the people. So you're getting into the character of the people, the the motives of the people, why they acted or how they acted, like how did this come about or what motivated them to act this way or to do this thing or that thing. And so those are the right. questions I ask. I don't change what happened. I just change. I I just add to. Uh, I ask the other questions: the who, what, when, why, where. I, I I don't ask the what. I ask the others. So that's interesting. Um, now, can we go back in time and can you tell us about the path your writing has taken? Have you always loved to write? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess so. I <laughs> I've had people tell me, "Oh, yeah, you you're." They were like. I was always talking about it, I suppose. They, that's what they tell me. I don't have a memory of that. I, mm-hmm. I was a... You mean that, like you're, like people who knew you when you yeah. were really young? And- yeah, I mean, I had my first diary, you know, and I, I wrote journals, like entries, that, which really became the way I prayed. Mm-hmm. I have scores of journals that are really just prayers because I don't, the only time I ever wrote it as a, like 
this is what we did is if we were on a trip, like when we went to Israel, I wrote down what the guide was telling us about each place we were at. So that would be more of a travel journal. But most of my journals are are just prayers. And um, it's Mm -hmm. the way I talk to God. Um, Not that I don't pray other ways, but that is how my writing and my, my writing began more with, well, I wrote, I guess when I was young, I wrote one story I can think of, but then I put it all away and I didn't think about writing at all for a good eight years. Um, Hmm. And then I, I was trying to raise kids and, you know, be a wife and mom. And I, but I was also not really aware of why I wasn't super happy. And it wasn't because of my family. Mm-hmm. I felt God sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, I never told you to bury the gift, dig it up. And so I started writing poetry. Mm-hmm. And the poetry led to writing songs because I'm a musician a pianist, wow. not a great one, but a pianist. And um, I wrote a few songs that will never, you know, they're not great songs, but it was just my creative outlet. And right, I sang a couple in church, but that never went anywhere. And I just felt like God pushed me out of that into fiction. But mm-hmm. the fiction started with a Bible study with a desire to read a book about David, and I couldn't find it. And long story short, I didn't know how to write a novel. I never took creative writing classes that taught me any of that. Mm-hmm. So it was a hit and miss learning experience for 20 years of just trying and rewriting and write. I wrote eight different books. Well, pretty much some of them were rewrites of the same one till mm-hmm. I finally got the craft to the point where um, the Lord opened the door for publication. But I wasn't ready before that. So, wow. Yeah. You weren't ready because um, of the time in your life or because your, your writing craft had to improve? Or what did you mean by that? Both. Um, okay. I was homeschooling three boys. And mm. so I, I was the first five years I devoted only to that. I didn't write. And then I picked up, I had written a two volume epic on King David, which ended up to 28 publishers and then under the bed, you know? Mm. (laughs) And uh, so I had quit, but I decided during those first five years that my release, my stress release would be to try and write Abigail's story just in one point of view. And so Mm. I just was focusing on learning how to do that. And at the end of it, I did have one publisher interested, but then they weren't. And so I was like, okay, well, and in the the time of the 28 publishers with the two-volume epic, I had run across an editor at Harper and Row, Lonnie Hall-Dupont, who was um, just, she retired from Ravel as, as my editor just last year or so. And um, anyway, back then, she suggested I write a story about David's first wife, McCall. And I turned her down Mm -hmm. because I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't know how, what a great opportunity that would have been. But Harper and Rowe was closing biblical fiction at that time. So it was also timing. It wasn't God's timing because biblical fiction was really big in the 1980s, but when I got to it, it was ending. So I wrote the book finally that she suggested, and I rewrote it about a hundred times. It felt like um, to different trying to get it just right for a different publisher, the right word length, and I, I learned a lot on that book, and mm. I finally. Um, I ha- I've had three agents. I'm now with the one that I've been with since my first book sold, um, Wendy Lawton wow. at Books and Such. And mm-hmm. she loved McCall. By that point, I finally got it right. But <laughs> biblical fiction was still not a thing. And so we were together over a year. I did have one publisher interested, and then they said no. And then she took me on and she tried and she finally told me, I'm going to have to shelve it. Um, so 
she was going to go to a conference and try and sell my suspense. Cause like I said, I've written other books. They're just still on my computer. Right. And, um, so she was going to try and sell one of my suspense novels. But that year, um, I just happened to feel this urge from the Lord to pray about the wives of King David. Um, mm-hmm. I had in my mind at that point switched over to the three book series. I actually have four books I was thinking of for the series, but, and, um, I prayed about it. I forgot about it, but before I even prayed about it, I told the Lord, I can't take this anymore. I, I've been at it 20 years. I'm not going to tell Wendy, but Lord, if this is the wrong path and I should be doing something else, even though I don't know what else I could be doing, but you know, if you want me to do something else, then I'll give her a year and then I, I'll follow wherever you want. But cause I can't keep taking the rejection. It had just, it had gotten to the point where it was, I mean, you can only take so much of some things, right? And yes, I completely understand. <laughs> so, you know, I had written that in my journal. Then I prayed about it. Then I forgot about it. And then a month later or so, she was at a conference and Lonnie, who gave me the idea for McCall all those years ago, 16 years mm-hmm. earlier, happened to sit next to her at that conference in Oregon and um, said, we're going to look for a work of biblical fiction. And Wendy looked at her and said, have I got the work for you? <laughs> <laughs> and she quick emailed me, do I have the right copy of McCall? This is the latest version. And I'm like freaking out. And this was before oh, the wow. days of, you know, smartphones when I could have read that on my phone. So I happened to be home. I came home, checked email and saw that. But anyway, long story short, by that fall, we had a contract for three books. Wow. And that December, um, which would be, I can't tell you how many years ago now, um, I found that journal where I told the Lord, I'll give Wendy a year and then I just can't do it anymore. And it was like, wow. (laughs) You know, it was like such a, such a, I can't even describe it. I get goosebumps still thinking about it because I want to, I, I'm in awe of what God did. You know, it was something I could never have manufactured. I tried for so long and I, I'm very stubborn when it comes to persevere, keep at it. It comes back, right. send it back again, you know, to someone else. And, but it, it was at a point where it had just made the rounds too many times. But once it went to Ravel, it exploded biblical fiction, and now we've got yeah. all kinds of authors um, writing it. So I'm, I'm grateful that the Lord's using so many people to bring the word to others' lives. You know, I mean, I hope that all biblical fiction points to the Bible, and that people will go and check the Bible because that's the true source. And yeah. you know, but the the. That's what inspired me to love the Bible was biblical fiction back in the 80s. So I'm hoping that it does the same, that mine does the same for others, and that all Christian writers of it inspire people to do the same. So, Right. Thank you for sharing that story. That's so, it's just so beautiful. I mean, you you said you got goosebumps. I'm all choked up. So um, I just... (laughs) It's definitely a God thing. And it it gives me uh, actual hope because I've had two other, two times that was one of them in my life where God has really answered a heart longing that Mm. sometimes it took a long time, sometimes it didn't. And now now I'm in a third place in my life with a super heart longing that outweighs the other two by big time. And I can't describe it. It's too personal, but I know if he did it before, he can do it again. But yes. I have to remind myself of that because there's too many times I want to write that journal entry and say, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But we, we are so forgetful as humans. And that's what Israel was in Miriam's day. They mm-hmm. were so forgetful that they kept complaining. And that's what we have to guard against. Yes. <clears throat> so you said you write historical fiction. Um, I I do yes that's cool um, are you with a particular publisher right now or <laughs> no well my first book one traveler was set 
the year before the Civil War. Mm. And that that came out quite a while ago with a small, a very small publishing house called Aventura Press. Okay. Um, so at this point, I'm, I'm actually trying to get an agent for the third complete novel I've finished, um, mm-hmm. which is a, a time slip. It slips back and forth between 1911 and 2001. So, mm-hmm. well, don't give up. You know, I mean, I won't. And that's your your story is encouraging. Well, thank you. Oh. I I wish you all the best with that. I have a story that's a time slip as well, but it's still on the computer. You know, it's like yeah. once you make it in a specific genre, to right. change genres. Uh, isn't easy unless you want to do it independently. You're not going to do it with the publisher you're with because no. they, they're marketing you as what you are in right now. Well, a lot of authors are doing a hybrid thing where they are going part independent, part traditional. And mm-hmm. I think those that have done it a long time and have backlist, they can get right. their right, rights back and they can do that easier than yes. someone who is trying to just start breaking in as an independent, if you don't already have an established name, right? That, that's a lot harder, and it's hard, and you have to really produce a lot of books. You do, to, you do to do that. I think, and I don't have the energy to be an independent or a hybrid author to do an independent with my suspense and yeah. biblical fiction. I can barely. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, I'm I'm getting older. Uh, you know, it's I started my career late. I mean, because I was homeschooling, God right. actually opened the door the le- the year our youngest son graduated high school. Oh wow, that's amazing. And, yeah, and so I ran out of a job, and He gave me another one. And now I'm at a point where it's like, okay, I don't know how long He's got me you know, wants me to do this because Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm looking to quit. I have three more books to write at the moment. But um, after that, I don't know what would be next. I don't know what book would be next. I don't know where we'll be. We're we're looking at wanting to move. We don't know where. Um, I've got two granddaughters I'd love to be closer to. And Mm. uh, you know, I, I don't know if God's going to allow any of that. We have to, we're at a point of like, okay, Lord, you lead, we'll follow. And we're, yeah. ju- we're just trying to prepare ourselves for whatever is next. Right. So that's all we can do. Yeah. Yes. So you touched on this a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but I want to, I always ask my guests, how do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Um, And for you, it would be specifically in biblical fiction. Sure. Um, Well, history in general and in scripture is very valuable. If we, as they have said, I don't know who quotes, who to quote, you know, but somebody said, if we don't learn from history, we're destined to repeat it. Right. And that is really true. And I'm seeing it happen before my eyes in oh, this, yes. this century, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, is anybody aware that this is going on? You know, I, are you guys looking back at history and seeing the similarities? Right. Cause I don't, think many people are and that right. that's a little frightening if i didn't know that god is sovereign yes but um i think that for scriptural reasons god put all those people every last one of them even the ones he didn't name in scripture for a purpose and it was for us to learn by from their examples what they mm-hmm. did right what they did wrong um and it's not that we're supposed to copy them we're supposed to copy Jesus in the sense we want to be like him, not like them, but we don't want to make their mistakes. If we can learn from their mistakes, that's wisdom. When we learn from other people's mistakes without having to make them ourselves. But, um, and historically I feel like, um, there are a couple of my novels that I have interwoven history, actual history with them, like Star of Persia. I actually went, um, did a lot of looking at Herodotus and his uh, Greek uh, writings about Xerxes. And 
So I tried to incorporate some of what I learned about him in the novel, in Esther's story. So I think we can learn from the people of history, like we don't really want a man like Xerxes to rule over us. <laughs> right. You know, I might have made a little love story part in that kind of in my novel, but he wasn't really a good person. And we no. also can look back and, and see that, uh, you know, I feel like history is God's story. And we know that the all of scripture is telling the story of Christ from the very beginning to the very end. But the enemy is also very real. And he is trying to write his own story in our world right now and throughout history. He's used Christians against people instead of um, yeah. instead of them trying to lead people to Christ by being like Christ and loving them. We've had inquisitions and, and slaughtering people or trying to force them to believe something that they don't know what you're talking about. And you got to learn that. I mean, I, I think a lot of history is sad because the people didn't have the scriptures. And right. we should learn from the fact that you don't want to uh, discount that the Bible is the word of God. Right now, that's what society wants to just look at it as a book that doesn't matter it, or it's mm -hmm. written by men or it doesn't, you know, it's, oh, it's too old. It's not relevant or, you know, the arguments are all there, but they're not, they don't hold water. If you actually study the things in archeology span and history that back up the scriptures. So right. I think history teaches us a whole lot, but we really need to learn how God worked in history and how mm -hmm. he how he brought people out that honored him how he how he saved for instance the world during world war 2 against hitler and all the awful people that wanted to control the yeah. world and why did he do that i just think that god answered the prayers of the, the allied powers to overcome the evil of the Axis powers because yes. we, on, we were a, a people and a nation that still at least acknowledged God and right. honored him in ways we do not do today. Yes, Our absolutely. forefathers absolutely believed there was a God that existed and there, mm -hmm. there's a whole culture today that wants to rewrite history, rewrite scripture, or, or just decide yeah. God isn't there. God isn't real. And right. Despite all their faults, Americans in that day at least acknowledge the Bible and God. Um, yeah, right. You know, imperfect as they were. Yes. <laughs> they still had um, values that reflected. Absolutely. And I mean, of course they weren't perfect and they, even among the Christians, there was a lot of oh yeah uh, problems, but you know, and I, I mean, think that's why um, some pockets of our culture want to rewrite history or or yeah do away with the past. But well, it, if you do that, you're just gonna. I mean, just if you just take the Bible, I mean, and say, okay, there's 66 books here written by all these different authors over a span of all this time, and yet somehow it makes sense and flows together. And what was prophesied here came true here, but you're telling me this can't be of God or it's just written by men. Well, tell me, how did men back in 2000 BC make sense with the person who wrote it in, um, you know, 30 AD? There's no wisdom in the th that thought. And that that makes me sad to see um, so many in our culture buying into that because I feel like there's this cloud of deception, right. and and they'll look at us and say we're the ones deceived. But you know, I I'll stand by what I by the word of God, and you can call me deceived if you want to. But 
it makes right. sense. It truly makes sense unless you aren't trying to read it to truly understand. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course God has to open our eyes. Maybe that yes. that's the biggest issue is the enemies, uh, as Lauren Daigle sings, he's, he's taken so many and led them off in chains and he's brought too many captive under his false teaching. And that's happened throughout history. So we learn from history by not repeating it, you know, (laughs) but that's the best I can answer, I guess. Oh, I think, I think you gave a great answer. So Jill, it was wonderful talking with you. How can listeners find your book to purchase? Um, well, my website, jilleileensmith.com, uh, has, will have all my books there. And you can buy it on any book, any bookstore can order it, you know, whether it's physical or online, you can get it. Right. I will put links in the show notes okay. to your website and to other places people can okay. find the book. So great. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jill. Thank you for having me. And I wish you all the best with your books. Thank you. You guys, I just find all these authors are so kind and encouraging. It's just delightful for me to be able to speak with them and talk to them about their careers and their books and um, a lot of them the way that God has worked in their lives through that. I hope that you all are enjoying the conversations as much as I am. Um, If you are, or even if you're mildly enjoying them, it would be fantastic if you could leave a review. Well, first of all, subscribe and then leave a review and a rating on whatever app you happen to use to listen to the podcast. Also, you can find the show notes at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's Allison with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. And that's where I provide links to Jill Eileen Smith's books and Um, whatever episode we have, I always have some good links there for you. So since this was a longish episode, I'm going to leave you with a short quote from Pericles. Time is the wisest counselor of all.